This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. What? Oh. Welcome everybody to This Week in Games episode 147. We are going to cover four pieces of news. So number one, we're going to talk about new game releases, Madden, Call of Duty, Vanguard, and Marvel. We're going to talk about an analysis of Riot Games' move to mobile, a Venture Beat article. Mr. Sufert, actually, I met a German guy yesterday. It was late in the evening and we had a couple of drinks. He said he's laughing how we pronounce Suford because none of us can pronounce Suford, right? It's a German surname, and then, and yeah. I forgot how how it should be pronounced because well, I had a couple of drinks. But apparently, yeah. we are all wrong, all of us, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, including including me. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I lived in Germany, and and uh, I would I would meet yeah. people, and I would say my name, and they'd be like, "No, you're mispronouncing your name." <laughs> and uh, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, like a... it's like it's like Yeah, and he was like, "Every time I listen to you guys, you are all wrong." <laughs> the way you pronounce, uh, I don't know, I can't do German accent. Anyway, we're well, all wrong. You, I'm super. No, but it's pretty bad. Even, yeah, even, you, you know what I, wrong. you know, you know what I, I used to tell people when they would tell me that, you know, the people that lost the war don't get to tell the winners how to pronounce things. Oh, so I'm just, back to back. I'm going to pronounce it however I want to pronounce it, right? I, I earned that or uh, our side earned that, so, right? You're such a Texan. Not, oh my God. You're such a Texan. <laughs> We lost all the German listeners, by the way. Germany is like our top six country to listen. So I don't agree with anything that Eric said, and I will continue pronouncing it correctly the German way. So anyway, moving forward. I, I, uh, kid, I kid, I kid, I kid around. I kid around. It's just, just joking around. Yeah. 
<laughs> we like our German listeners. Anyway, uh, so Super Liftoff and Vungle agreed to merge into a mobile growth company. That's uh, article number th- three. And Adam, with a very interesting article today, talking about Leela Games values. So you're smiling already a lot. This is going to be interesting. So Leela is, of course, our boys, Joseph Kim's company. And apparently there's something interesting about his values. I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, we got the full crew here. We got a new platform we're recording on. They're not sponsoring this podcast, so we're not going to even call it out what platform this is. Well, let's jump into the news. How's everybody feeling? I'm good. I'm all right. Great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hungover, and I got I have a, a public – that's not a public announcement to make. I'm finally kind of cutting the cord in a little bit. Like I've been, I've been, go, I've been on PC for a year and a half, and now – I think I made it. Now I'm I'm turning into Android being my daily driver. I'm I'm now with that Samsung. All the builds, all the soft launches are on Android. I still have my iOS device, and I'm not gonna get rid of it. I'm not gonna go like Eric Press, like either Ooh. this or that. But I'm just changing. I've always had an Android and always had an iPhone, but today I made the final leap, which is like making the Google Pay and and you know all the banking information, all those, so you can pay through your phone. So that means it's fully fledged. It's it's working. And I guess I'm a Samsung guy for a while, unless Google sends me a Pixel, then the latest one, I'll be a Google Pixel guy. But anyways, so that's, I'm kind of doing that. <laughs> I can't stand, I, can, I just cannot do Android, but that's just me. I'll just quick, quick update on my side, just because uh, it's more interesting than Mr. Katkoff's update. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just got back from New York City. And I, and I, as, as a personal note, like, Sometimes in San Francisco, I feel like I'm in hibernation mode, right? Or we're going in and out of hibernation mode. I, I, you don't see that many people out anymore. Like everyone seems locked down. Everyone's freaked out, masks and everything. But after three days in New York City, dude, I feel like the world is opening up again, right? There are gajillion fucking people out there on Times Square wandering around like reckless abandon with no care in the world. And it was fucking awesome dude i'm so tired of feeling this like ugh, this like i don't know san francisco's brutal so people Sounds are like living their lives yeah yeah it's like yeah maybe i should move to florida or texas but uh, it was awesome <laughs> uh, I, I spent three days in new york with my 14 year old daughter to try to reconnect before she ignores me for the next four years in high school <laughs> and it was a really good time and I, we got to see lots of stuff and and wander about you know the statue of liberty down on Fifth Avenue, like it was cool. It was cool, and lots of shopping. So anyway, I had a good time. But I'm I, I'm negligently unprepared for this podcast, so I apologize ahead of time. So maybe I'll have a few zingers first. But I I, I am not I'm not firing on all cylinders yet. I'm I'm still recovering from my vacation. So moving on. We're gonna have a mellow crest today. That's an interesting one. <laughs> I had a I had a, I had a kind of just I don't know if it's an update or just a, fo- a follow on from last week's combo. I, I feel like the regarding the app store regulation because I had a number of people reach out to me about the conversation uh, tell me I was wrong and and Eric was was very vehement that I was wrong in that conversation too. I, I wanted to I wanted to kind of just just re- revisit that because I th- I feel like I I got I got thrown off track and then we just started talking about Supercell and what they could what they could potentially get out of a 30%, you know, or, or out of, out of a, an alternative payment system. So the point of the article that I was talking about was not about, was less about the payment system and, and how much money you could get given additional frictions or whatever. It was more about how will this change the competitive landscape, right? And so, yes, I agree. Supercell, they will absolutely gain from this. Big game publishers, they will absolutely gain from this. But the point of the article was that they're, they've already won. Like there's, this is sort of like a winners take all market and the winners have already sort of won. And yes, all the winners are going to get a big, you know, sort of step change increase in revenue from this, but it's not going to change the ability for a startup or a small company to, 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 to gain meaningful traction, right? This, this doesn't change the competitive landscape. It just gives a big gift to the winners. Right. And that's that was the point of of the article. Now, what we got bogged down with was, will Supercell get a 30 percent revenue increase? And my point was, no, they won't. Like to Adam's point, you know, they're probably going to have to incentivize users to go with the alternative payment system. So if they incentivize with a 20 percent decrease in the price, then they get a 10 percent increase in revenue. Right. My point was, it won't be 30 percent. There's going to be there's going to be some friction that they have to have to overcome. And so it won't be 30 percent. But yes, it'll be something. It'll be meaningful. It'll be a lot of money to them. And the the winners will get more money and it's going to be great for the winners. And and you know, the biggest game developers should be cheering this on, but it doesn't change the competitive landscape. It's not going to make it easier for a startup to gain traction. It's not going to be something that sort of breaks down barriers to growth. And that, 
that was kind of the point of the article. I just wanted to point that out because I had a number of people reach out and say, no, 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 this is going to be awesome for gaming companies. I agree. It is. I just, I don't think it's going to be 30% awesome. I think it's going to be somewhere between, let's say, 10 and 15% awesome because they're going to have to incentivize using that alternative payment system. Yep, I agree. Yeah, that was good. That was a good debate. Um, I but you wait, 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 we can't go with that. I was what? right, and you were wrong, right? I mean, I mean, are we, are we, are we coming down to that conclusion? Like, I mean, oh, all right. Well, okay. Then I then I want to go back to multiple <laughs> topics. If we're gonna start doing that, I, I want I'm gonna I'm gonna come prepared. No, no, no. I'm we're gonna... not talking about other things. We're talking about this thing. I was right, and you were wrong. The smart what? Eric was wrong. The not so smart Eric was right. All right, let's move what? on. <laughs> Next subject. Listen. They say that the broken clock is twice, you know, twice right today. So any, okay. So I got a couple of updates. There was Aristocrat did a press release. They talked about acquisition of a couple of companies and setting up of a new company. So they talked about Future Play. And of course, Future Play, we've covered it. They, they've got games like Battlelands Royale. And then the, uh, the merge meets puzzle type of a game. I kind of forgot the name of that one. But it's a Helsinki-based studio led by Yami Elias. And that was acquired a couple of weeks ago by Plarium, an aristocrat company. In this press release, Aristocrat also talked about acquisition of Playsoft. It's a Gdansk, Gdansk, it's a Polish city, Gdansk-based mobile game studio specializing in the social casino genre. Playsoft has 13 years track record of developing more than 50 successful game titles for third-party partners. Studio will help, help to accelerate product madness pipeline and deliver innovation. So Aristocrat, of course, has their base in casino. And this one is helping one of their key casino companies, Product Madness. Now, the third piece of this news was, and I'm going to quote, Aristocrats has established a further Helsinki-based studio, so in addition to Future Play, called Northern Stars. Northern Stars will focus on emerging hybrid casual genre under the world-class game development and studio leaders, Minwoo Lee, he's ex-Rovio at Ubisoft and EA, as well as the Nikander, who's ex-Rovio. Now, Minwoo and Antti bring a wealth of experience to the group, which will help us grow Aristocrats' presence in Finland and further expand our game development capabilities. Now, I, I'm not that familiar to, with Minwoo, very much known Antti for maybe past 12 years. Of course, PR has added a lot of hyperboles to this. You know, not the most senior developers, at least not Antti. He's not really worked on, on game teams before. He's more on the business side of it. But it's awesome to see another studio coming into the city and uh, and really growing this ecosystem of Helsinki. So wish them nothing but the best, the both of them, and hope they make great hybrid casual games. Now, other news in Finland again, Supercell has soft launched Everdale. And of course, every, every time Supercell soft launches a game, everybody kind of holds their breath and tries to, t- tries to download that game wherever it is, usually in Canada. And what's interesting about this game, it was actually released as Valleys and Villages around October of 2020. So it really shows that Supercell has updated their playbook when it comes to soft launches. Now that they're coming in under fake name, launching on Android, seeing how everything works before actually going on iOS in Canada. So apparently this game has been out for a while and, and the fact that they're coming out bigly with it now and under the Supercell umbrella with that community video and everything makes us believe that that this game actually has pretty promising metrics that they're willing to kind of scale and put their stamp on it. Now, rumor has it that they have been working on a settlers type of a game for at least last three years. That kind of can give you an indication how long it took them to to build this. Overall, I've been playing this game for a while. It's very relaxing, slow paced, kind of feel good. Looks pretty good, to be honest. Like, you know, uh, a lot of Supercell games are not maybe the most prettiest at the beginning due to the uh, kind of like simplistic production values. But this one looks nice. It's not a production puzzle like Heyday. You don't have to remember 250 recipes. What's interesting about it, it doesn't really have early monetization. Again, I'm, I'm only a couple of days in into this. And unlike typically, especially with the IDFA, you usually want to call back signal early, but they don't have any kind of a strong urge to monetize. I don't even know what to pay for this in this game. Not personally blown away by narrative, but maybe I'm not the other type of person who's very much looking into narratives. I'll definitely keep playing, deconstructing the mechanics. I don't have any predictions how this game could work. I've been playing only for a couple hours, hours now, but, but the fact that the soft launch has happened way before under a different name, and they're now scaling to under Supercell brand gives us definitely hope that this game can 
can reach the, uh, the, the the very high expectations for a Supercell game. And yeah, and the fact that they have soft launched under Android, under a different name in, 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 uh, in Canada, kind of gives you a hint that they may have other really cool games in soft launch under different names. So you never know. You're out of, you're out of you your think? freaking mind, dude. What are you talking about? God damn it. Like, what? there's no metrics for this. Just because they're putting it on beta, they betaed thing for like three years before. I mean, this doesn't mean shit, you know? And there's no monetization in the first like, you know, 24 hours of gameplay. Are you kidding me? You know, like, come on, man. Just stop, stop sucking up to these uh, guys. I, I think they monetize within the first 24 hours. He's just saying the first few. Whatever. Right? Anyway, there's yeah. no guarantee. Adam. There's no, there's, um. there's nothing, nothing, nothing here, here. Let's just wait till some metrics come out and we'll, and we'll, and we'll talk about it then, dude. <laughs> Moving on. Well, it'd be good to actually look at the RPI for Valium. Oh. I can't, I can't get it on Sunstar. I don't know if you guys can. I can't either. See if there was any signals or which countries they were in. But overall, like the idea, like I'm just thinking about the idea, which is, you know, attack the simulation space by taking elements of social collaboration with 4X and shift it more to be sort of worker-centric, which I think like Hustle Castle and Fallout Shelter, Fallout Shelter yeah. right, kind of show, right? This this can work. I, I have no problems with this. And I think execution is really, really where I want to be able to evaluate. Like it is slow-paced, it's relaxing. And I think like the focus on villagers could be, you know, there, there could be some really compelling progression mechanics around collecting these people. And I think I really like the focus on optimization. It just feels like a step forward for the space. So I'm, I'm excited to play. And I just want to see those cooperation mechanics because I think that's really where um, it, needs to sign, it needs to shine. But it's kind of weird, though, that you're just kind of, kind of placed into the world, match made with a whole bunch of people. I really wonder how they're going to handle things like inactivity and make sure that they're building up the right mechanics. But anyways... Just things to take I, a look I, at. I, yeah, like we played Northgard. I'm gonna bring Northgard. Oh back come on! Here. <laughs> <laughs> we talking about Northgard again? <laughs> if I compare this to Northgard, like of course this is probably more female focused, but Northgard is this type but of game. Northgard isn't people. a free to play game, right? It doesn't matter. That game is so much fun. Like the first, like I could pay any. I actually hey Mishka, hey Mishka, seeing the, the image of that game, I paid. Like it was uh, so. Interesting. Oh my god! And it has a worker management. It's it's infinite amount of fun. So if you think this game is fun and continue playing this game, I'm not saying don't play this. I played Northgard play like years ago. How long yeah, have you where. worked in free to play? How long have you worked in free to play? How could you actually make uh, an equation well, between yeah. free to play game and some stupid fucking strategy game that you make and how compelling it is? Twelve years. All right, twelve years. All right. Anyways, Northgard, let's move forward. Northgard. Let's move forward. Oh my lord! Let's I am losing my mind. Every executive listening to this is playing Northgard, by the way. So uh, they know. Yeah, but they're they know not, They're up. probably not paying for it. <laughs> yes, they are. Well, it's a paid game. Right. Every one of them has monetized. Pay, pay to download. Enough. Yeah, pay to download. Uh, it's it's one hundred percent monetized. Yeah, the, like the hundred thousand um, people that have downloaded it. That's yeah, great. ARPPU is like eight eight euros. That's yeah. Uh, I, I think this pay to download <laughs> thing has legs. Yes, I think it's the future. Let's do it. Let's move forward. Oh, I, oh my god! I think you got a business model here. Can I can I hover there just for a second? Because because I was going to talk about yeah. the Apple Arcade stuff, and and we kind of skipped it. So Matthew Ball just a couple minutes ago had tweeted out some data from Antenna, which is a company that covers streaming services analytics, and it included Apple Arcade in. So he <laughs> published a, a chart with churn, uh, churn metrics for a bunch of different streaming services, including Apple Arcade. And Apple Arcade's churn as of July 2021 was close to 27%. It, it was so high relative to the other services that it basically made the other churn metrics unreadable because it, it like stretched out the <laughs> y-axis. <laughs> but, but it's been increasing. So basically, since January 2020, it's just been on this incredible upward trajectory. So at, at around January, January 2020, which is like the first data point, it was around 18%. So I just, I just kind of want to point that out. It's an interesting data point. Also, I mean, it kind of you know, confirms my priors, at least at Up Arcade, there's just, it's just, that product just isn't a good fit for the market. It's, it's just has no, it has no audience, no real, no real market for that. But when you say, when you say they bundle up the Apple or the Apple services, right? He, he mentions, unfortunately, Apple services blow at the Y axis, but I'm looking at it. They split up TV and arcade. Do they just try to bundle them up again? No, but when he says blow up the Y axis, he means just stretch it out so that you can't see the, the, the the values at the bottom. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the methodology for measuring this, but Antenna is a you know, pretty well-respected analytics company. I trust the numbers. But, but when you say 27%, is it basically 27% after the first month? Is that what the metric is of churn? Well, it's, I, it's just monthly active churn. I don't know what 
okay no no that's, I, that's, I'd imagine it's yeah yeah so uh, sorry as a comparable stat like I, that I this is like just nuance because it's not an actual number compared to what antenna does but like the churn for something like World of Warcraft evidently after the expansion is like 5% a month right so yeah. that that's like a relatively healthy churn and that's churn but 27% well, yeah and insane. Netflix is like 2 2 or 3% i mean it's very right. low right i mean you then right. that's that would even be like that's probably like within range of, of normal i don't think Netflix is, is you know for for any sort of subscription services you know but but even like a lot of you know game subscriptions you'd see a churn around that level 27% monthly churn is just a result of them giving it away and 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 trying to force people that into it i think looking at this graph because i think apple gave away a whole bunch of stuff at like a 12 month trial mm-hmm. right like when yeah. you buy right you can, right. So you can see pretty clear spikes after that 12 month right as well like 12 months past the previous peak so yeah it makes sense yeah, well, or, yeah or, but that's that's what i mean i mean they they, they basically had to you know, force it onto people's phones, right? I mean, when when I got my iPhone 12, I mean, there was a band, they had built an an ad unit in the settings app that w- that was like, hey, why don't you download Apple Arcade? You get three months free or twelve months free or whatever it was. So I mean, they, I mean, they were they were basically you know really 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 aggressively trying to get people to install this and use it for free, and and that that's probably what results in this very high level of churn. But it it also proves that. There's not a lot. I don't think there's like a big market for this. Is it's not something that people want. I, even if even though they yeah. gave it away, you think that you know the churn wouldn't be that high. I mean, they basically lose a quarter of the active user base every every month. I mean, that's 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 unsustainably high. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they could add Game Pass to this in the future as well. Be interesting to look at multiple games subscription services. I just think it's yeah. but the problem with the, I mean I know that we've talked about this a lot and it's not really relevant right right to second save for this data dump. But you know, there's just you're talking about the games that couldn't survive as free to play. These aren't they're not the games that people want to play. They've got oh, I, I I completely agree on Apple Arcade, but Game Pass is something different. No, 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 but Microsoft Game Pass. But, it, but I'm saying adding Game Pass to adding a Game Pass like mechanic to Apple Arcade is not going to help because people don't really want to play the games. It's a problem. And they've just got an adverse selection <laughs> issue with the with the games, and, and, and when you hear about when you hear stories of of games being brought to Apple Arcade, that that, that to me means wow, the developer really didn't think that that was going to be a hit game, a successful game, right? I mean, that has to be what that means. Yep. Anyway, no, I agree. Yep. I mean, they were they were signing up teams with a lifeline, right? Like struggling teams, you know, give them a couple million bucks. They're like, hell yeah, I'll do that. Like I, they don't care the repercussions. And then when Apple like pulled the plug on the whole thing, they were just sat there like. Well, where are my friends? Where are my money? Right? Like Apple's gone. It's like, yeah. Anyway, it's it was it, what a fucking disaster. Fucking disaster. <laughs> let's move. Forward. Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with powerpoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world. But they lack two key things, passion for games and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now back to the episode. 
forward. All right, Let's moving on. Madden. So Let's this go. is my favorite time of the year, right? Because after like this doldrum of summer in which there's no games to speak of, really, now we get the start of the gaming season with the start of Madden and then the announcement of Call of Duty. Well, generally it's a little bit earlier than that. But Madden always represents the beginning of the year in terms of game releases. And so now we can actually talk about something and get excited, right? So, but unfortunately, Madden 22 was not a very un- inspired sequel. But I'm sure it caters to the fans. And, and But Madden came out on the 20th, I believe. I'm sure it's doing fine because it does fine every year. Because the same people buy it every year because they love football. Uh, American football. The good, it has some some interesting features with like uh, momentum based on, uh, on where you are, some unique features around the teams themselves playing differently and it, just a host, a host of new like you know, quality of life and graphical enhancements, etc. But unfortunately, there's still some technical flaws, particularly on next gen and the franchise story mode is actually horrendous. So not, not a very good inspired story mode. But overall, the game is going to score like a 70 to 75 Metacritic. No one cares. It's going to do its 5 to 6 million units that it does. But it is the ushering of a new year. The second title that I want to talk about is Call of Duty Vanguard. So as, it, as the rumor suggested, it is in the World War II theme, which I think is by far one of the lowest interest themes out there because it's super divisive in general, as our German comment earlier. But on a positive side, they were able to pull out a story mode, which is great because I think that does attract a, a, a good a good piece of the audience. But of course, it's really the multiplayer that matters, uh, generally speaking. So they did announce a new map for Warzone, which is was just super cool. And finally, the they're preparing an anti-cheat software, which they haven't had, which has caused all kinds of drama within the the the, sta- the space over over the last few months, actually, or last month or so. But again, the theme is not as popular as some of the other ones. And Battlefield, I think, looks new and fresh and doing new things. So I think Battlefield will have its day. The game, in my estimation, will likely do 15 to 20% less than last year, when last year was down like 10 to 15% from the year before. But I don't think it matters. I think basically what this game will do will add another layer to the service by offering... So they have like a modern warfare game, then they have the Cold War game, and now they'll have a World War II, and it'll just attract different audiences. But it, it seems like people are sticking with with Call of Duty for now. Although gameplay, I, I mean, users have come down quite a bit across the entire ecosystem. I, I don't think this is going to be really too detrimental to Activision's long-term business. On- but next year, what was is really interesting is we'll see the Heroes view, right? So Treyarch is coming out with their title, which is likely going to be modern in its execution and that will be the hero skew and hopefully they fix some of the tech debt they have and and resolve some of these issues and create more of a cohesive platform for their games but the final game that i want to talk to that i'm actually now really excited to and about is uh marvel future revolution from netmarble and i think i i think i put some hate on this game initially maybe i don't know no the moba i did for sure but this the moba is stupid but this game is amazing i mean you gotta see this game it is like absolutely ridiculous in terms of the production value it's uh, it feels like a triple a game i mean they must have spent i don't know 50 60 million dollars on this game minimum like the the animations the cutscenes, the fucking it's a whole other level on mobile you know they even fucking have quick time events you know i'm like sitting there clicking through on quick time events i mean it's like circa 2002 or something but based on the canadian data and of course i'm going to throw some crap on this but based on Based on the Canadian data, is it looks like it's going to do the traditional thing as an MMO-style game in mobile on the West, right? Is that it's going to have this shark fin-type release, and then it's going to peter out pretty quickly. Unless they can really continue to build the story and, and, and eliminate the deceleration and the churn from, from the big, big audience. But I'm giving this one a shot because I absolutely fucking love these games. Like Lineage 2, etc. So I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. The systems are super deep and they have like upgraded Evo and they do have a collection mechanic, which I think will help them in a, in a way because you start collecting characters, different Marvel characters, but they have all the standard Marvel characters, which is amazing. And it's just definitely worth taking a look because it is, it is a definitely illustration of what is capable, what, what the devices are capable and, and, and where things likely will head ultimately, at least in this type of, this type of game. But anyway, I'm happy that August is here and that the, the, the doldrums of the AAA space are coming to an end. We'll see some new games coming out. It's not a huge year for, hol- for, for games, but 
you know, you have Halo, you have Battlefield, you have Call of Duty. You don't have an Assassin's Creed this year. And I think that is about, those are the big ones, but, but excited to get more momentum and more momentum in the stocks, frankly, because I think they've kind of hit this like lull for a while. So that's it. Anybody's picked up looking, Future Revolution? Looking forward to playing Looking forward to play Future Revolution on my Samsung phone that can run it powerfully. <laughs> Just to be clear, this game is the most autoplay I've ever. I mean, I I, I, I prod Netmarble, right? It is fucking autoplay on steroids. Like you press a button and the thing just plays out. It's like watching a fucking movie, right? And literally, you can let this thing play, and you're like navigating menus and upgrading your character as it plays. It's like. Wow, good job, awesome. Netmarble, dude. This sounds, yeah, this is exactly what I want. Yep. And letting this game play. And for the record, I've been playing this whole fucking time. Like, I'm this whole time, it's playing right now, and I am leveling up as we go. It's fucking amazing. Good job, So Netmarble. let's see. <laughs> Enjoy getting to the level cap there, Eric. <laughs> exactly. and, and then churning. <laughs> Shout out to Future Revolution. All right, let's jump into some other articles. So uh, I, I actually... I was just supposed to do this as an update, but Manio from Master the Meta, as well as Navik, uh, a friend of ours, an excellent newsletter. So he wrote a piece on game speed or venture beat called Analyzing Riot Games Move to Mobile. So I'm just going to quote a couple of things. He writes about Riot's achieving competitive success in mobile is a very different ball game, and the numbers below would make it seem like Riot's feeling the heat. And he, refer, he refers to the same numbers that we've covered on this podcast. So essentially saying that Riot earned their first $100 million and most of the revenue is coming from, from, from the League of Legends MOBA, Wild Rift, while the, the Teamfight Tactics as well as Legend of Runeterra have not found the similar success. But Manu writes, is, it, is Riot really worried about subgenre dominance? Not so much, I'd argue. Through a recent interview with the co-founder and co-chairman Mark Merrill, the company's steadfast focus on the long term is clear. Merrill goes on to say, the reasons League of Legends is big isn't because we're great at acquiring players. It's big because we are great at not losing them. He further writes that bringing together Riot's first five core values, such as players experience first, tells me that Riot's mobile ambitions aren't and probably will never be about subgenre dominance it's likely more about bringing their game experience and ip to mobile first audiences funneling some of them back to their dominant platform elongating the relationship with their pc audiences across platforms and finding new ways to engage their audiences across the ecosystem and he kind of ends it if mobile market leadership is achieved as byproducts of creating breathtaking game experiences that their mobile players invest in for decades, then that's great value add. It's just that it's probably not the driving reason behind why Riot makes games for any platform. All right. I think Manu is off on a couple of things. Oh Number one Manu, is dude, Wild Rift. Dude, he's got a, whoa, what the hell is he thinking? Yeah, this? so Eric, relax, you'll get, uh, you'll get to it. So I'm going to go through three I things. Didn't read so this, number one, so Wild Rift. Wild Rift has made about $50 million in net revenue, so that would be like about 75 uh, in gross revenue with about $47 million in stalls. It is a 100% mobile game, and it's done for mobile players. I don't think it's a gateway to the full version like Manu insinuates. It's not League of Legends Lite. It's just a League of Legends mobile. It's a totally different game. And it's really meant to be a legit competitor to the biggest mobile in the world, Arena of Valor. And the fact that it's trailing behind Mobile Legends Bang Bang, and, it's, <laughs> and not to mention that it's miles away from Brawl Stars, is very scary for Riot. It is. like I mean, they, they basically invented the whole genre. And since the beginning, we've been discussing, like, who is this game for? Is it for the lapsed players of League of Legends? Is it for the existing players of League of Legends? Like, would they play this on the side? Is it those who are new to MOBA? Like, this is, is this the most accessible MOBA you could be playing? Or is it those who are already playing MOBAs and are just new to League of Legends and they will switch from their existing MOBA where they've collected 100 characters to League of Legends mobile? We don't know. And it seems like Riot hasn't been able to position themselves because the growth, even though they, it is a, a game that makes about like 7 millions a month, which is, which is not a joke, but it is a small amount for Riot and especially for a game that is known as League of Legends on mobile. The second part that Manu covers over in his in his opinion piece is IDFA, naturally. He says it, IDFA, will affect Riot, especially Wild Rift. 
but it has less to fear compared to other publishers. Why? For one, Riot's games benefit from strong existing IP and therefore strong word-of-mouth advertising. In other words, paid user acquisition isn't the only means of acquiring a large number of players. With Riot's growing ecosystem of games, there's plenty of room for cross-selling. When Riot acquires a player for one game, it often reaps the extra benefit when that player decides to play another related Riot game. So essentially, he's describing like it would work in a pub, in a in a puzzle or a casual publisher where the the portfolio LTV is higher, and hence you can bid a little bit higher. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. Riot has launched three games on mobile, all of them having League of Legends IPs on them. We got Legends of Rune of Terra with League of Legends characters. We got Team Fight Tactics, my favorite. Again, League of Legends strategy game. And then we have number one, League of Legends Wild Rift. Together, these three games throughout their lifetime have gotten 76 million installs. Like that's an impressive number, but it's nothing compared to, to you know, other top titles that, that can gather hundreds of millions. So what I'm trying to say is Riot has, you know, less than 100 million installs across three games. It is not the most organic viral IP out there. And also, I play TFT Hardcore, and I couldn't be bothered to play Legends of Runeterra of League of Legends Wild Rift. I tried them, but there is no cross-promotion between these apps. And also, they are very, very different from audience perspective. One is a slow-paced strategy game, one is a card game, and one is a MOBA. Yes, there might be an audience overlap, but it's not the same as playing one puzzle game and a second puzzle game and a third puzzle game. And also the fact that they did run a lot of UA campaigns and kind of stopped, which which insinuates that they might not have been that profitable and number three that money mentions is the subgenre dominance so i quote him he says riot is not about subgenre dominance and that is 100 percent true i think they're more about game great games that last for decades and make at least one billion in revenue and he says if mobile market leadership is is achieved as byproduct of creating breathtaking game experiences that their mobile players invest in for decades, then that's great value add. It's just that it's probably not the driving reason behind why Riot makes games for any platform. All right, let's break this down again. So we got Case Hearthstone versus Case Runeterra. Now, Runeterra is a breathtaking game, and it was actually voted by Apple as the iOS game of 2020. In the lifetime, Runeterra has made 11 million in, in net revenue, <laughs> and it has been downloaded 13 million times. Now, it is the, the comparison to it is, of course, Hearthstone, which in, in its lifetime has been downloaded 100 million times on mobile alone. In addition to that, it's, of course, a very big PC hit. And it has made about 700 million, so a billion in lifetime revenues. And of course, at Riot, it's a business. They're looking at Hearthstone. They're looking, could we be making this type of game? On mobile, it makes 1 billion, and then probably another couple of billion outside mobile. Yes, that sounds like a legit business case. And even when I compare Hearthstone to, to Runeterra just last year, just last year, Hearthstone was doubled twice as many times as Runeterra, and it did... I don't even know how many times more revenue this is, but let's say 12 times more revenue just last year with Hearthstone being an old game with no, you know, just a little bit of a content and Runeterra being the new one. I mean, just let's have an, an exercise in our head and replace Runeterra and TFT with Apex Legends and Battlefield Mobile. Like, would this analysis still be there? Like, are, is, is Money just making this analysis because he likes Riot so much? And there's nothing wrong. We all like Riot a lot. It's a, it's a very impressive, amazing company. But I think it's it's really weird that when you have a really cool company that you like, you kind of move the goalposts and analyze it totally differently. So like suddenly installs don't matter. Suddenly revenue is not how we measure games. Suddenly it's about creative output and and decade long fun. And like, what are we talking about? This is the, one of the most successful, financially successful companies ever. And it's, you know, it's predicated on making games that are financially successful. So uh, I, I, I love what Manu does with Master the Meta. I love his insights. We've worked on, on a bunch of things. I really appreciate it. I think this particular piece is written in a way where you have a narrative and then you spin the data to point the otherwise to support the pre-existing narrative. Dude, right. and I'm kind of Stop, stop. Dude, the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is killing me right now. You just did the exact same thing for Supercell like five fucking minutes ago. 
You look at this game. What do you mean? Valley and Villages. Dude, this thing is tr is like at 84 cents, you know, per download in Canada. It's a fucking disaster waiting to happen. And yet you're just assuming, oh, well, they're bringing it to, to market under their own brand. So it must be good because you do the same shit. I said we're hopeful, guys. and that's a good sign. No, that's you, a different no, thing. You, you move the goalposts because you're not, you're not critical of things that you love, and you're just doing exactly the same thing that Manu do. I don't know what – this is like that's a love true. letter to Riot. I don't know what Manu is it thinking is, right? here. Like, he's a brilliant guy. I've talked to him many times. This is like a love letter to, 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 to Riot, and it's just covering up the nonsense that is, like, what's in this industry. It's like you you, you got to be straightforward. Legends of Ruterra is a disaster. Fucking disaster. Wild Rift is a fucking disaster of epic proportions. This is not some brand thing. This is like, these are games that are supposed to be successful in their own right and to compete against the big competitors, and they're not, okay? The same way that Supercell is coming out with this Valley and Villages and other the other games that they've come out with that have not been competitive, and this is not a competitive game, right? And so... Let's just call a spade a spade, dude. Don't be don't be don't be throwing shit at Manuel when you're doing the same thing like five minutes ago. All right, like uh, let's be clear, okay? Moving on. Uh, yeah, Adam, that's, a, that's correct. What can, so, uh, I, I, I would say I'm I'm biased towards Supercell, but I'm not writing love letters. <laughs> can, can I make one point? You know, I I get called into like kind of big AAA companies quite often to like help with like thinking through the mobile strategy and setting up you know all the different you know, functional teams they need to set up to make, to make a game successful. And like, when I hear language like this, you know, kind of justifying or just sort of like, you know, hand waving away a little bit, like the sort of very, very sort of discreet kind of performance focus that you need with a mobile title, I get worried. Like this kind of stuff makes me worried. It makes me, it makes me feel like there's just not the DNA to, to make mobile work or to be successful on mobile. And I think, I think, I think like when you get to that point, sometimes it's just like, all right, well, we need to acquire something. Like let's bring in a mobile studio, put it under the, the the umbrella, and make that our mobile initiative. Because when I start hearing about stuff like brand extension and like ways for our fan, our mega fans or our true fans to interact, like that's not really how you operate a mobile studio, and that's not really how you make a mobile game successful. That's just like that's kind of triggering to me to hear that kind of language being used to talk about this kind of project. Yeah, but that's not Riot saying. No, I know. That's, that's the weirdest part. I, I know, but it's it's someone who's I, I feel like is probably aligned with Riot's vision, right? My sense is this wasn't written like kind of apropos of nothing. Thank It'll you. Like back yes. Here. Sorry. That's the much nicer way of saying that Manu, it looks, this is like a paid puff piece on Riot, right? This is not like a, a analysis, right? This is not critical analysis no. at all. And that's what drives me insane. And it's like, it's pretending to be something that it's not. And sorry, Manu. I mean, I, I do respect you. I think I really do like you, but this yeah. this is not a good look. We wouldn't we wouldn't say we wouldn't say otherwise if we wouldn't respect Manu and his writings on on other elements, like because we know how objective analytical he is. And then reading this, I'm like, who like who paid you to write this? Like this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so anyway, do we want to talk about liftoff and Vungle? Yeah, sorry, Adam. I inserted my stuff before yours because I've got the I've got a hard stop. I, so. <laughs> So Liftoff and Vungle, just the head, headline of the Venture Beat piece was uh, Liftoff and Vungle agreed to merge into one mobile growth company. So Liftoff was a performance DSP. Vungle is an ad network that has been diversifying with recent acquisitions. For example, Game Refinery, which uh, my sense was that was to kind of bring in uh, more of like a kind of targeting context to, to their service. And, and Vungle also recently acquired JetFuel, which is kind of an influencer agency. They acquired Tracensa and, of course, Liftoff in December. Full disclosure, I participated in, in, in that transaction, in the Vungle Liftoff transaction as an advisor, but, you know, I don't have any, I don't have any proprietary knowledge and just kind of taking an outsider's view of this of this merger, I think it's 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 great. I think it's gonna. The, I think this 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 merger and creating this this sort of combined company is going to create a behemoth and it unlocks uh, really valuable synergies. I think Liftoff has incredible technology that you know talk to any mobile advertiser and, and they'll tell you that and a very very impressive executive team and and the same is true for Vungle. So I, I think this is going to create a really competitive company in competitive with some of the bigger uh players in the space and I think they kind of benefit from some of the the landscape changes that are happening. I think the the strategic acquisitions that Vungle has made recently are very shrewd. They've been very smart acquisitions and they and I think they've been the smartest and the most flexible, you know, with that. I think this is something that other companies should have been to to react quickly to to this sort of changing environment. And and Vungle was there with, you know, with 
with with a lot of money and with you know sort of like financial uh, backing from Blackstone. And I think they were the fastest and they were the sort of smartest and the most nimble. And I think that's going to end up benefiting them. And I, and they're just really well poised to to compete in the new privacy environment. I think I'm just going to read a quote that I think kind of uh, elucidates their ambitions here. So the quote from the article is, our competition is big tech, Google, Facebook, and others. And so in that regard, we certainly are closing the gap, but they are still considerably larger, Ellis said. And Ellis, Mark Ellis is the new uh, CEO of the joint company. Obviously, they have a more varied set of products and business than we do, but I think the industry is really hungry for a skilled alternative to what Google and Facebook and others offer. They offer very compelling products as well, but with that comes their own agenda and biases. And so we welcome the opportunity to continue to help in a very competitive manner. So just kind of quickly underscore, you know, explaining the difference between a DSP and an ad network. An ad network, this is a broker. So it sits between buyers and sellers. Sometimes they have exclusive relationships, most, most, most of the time not. And they basically just, you know, connect publishers with advertisers connect sellers with buyers and and they do that and they apply their own sort of like logic to the to to the to those transactions right they they apply their own logic and their own sort of like they use their own data to to sort of pair the best ad opportunity with the best ad right and and optimize for conversions and optimize for performance and and ultimately like you know outcomes for the advertiser a, a dsp it doesn't do that they they sort of, sort of just sort of provide the pipes right they just have the service they just have the the mechanism to do that 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 the the advertiser can can utilize and, and a lot of ad networks run off of dsps right so a lot and ad, a lot of ad networks have their own DSP where they make you know those sort of transactions available and they don't bring their own data to to the to the sort of uh, transaction and so a dsp is just kind of like an environment where you can pr- programmatically buy ad inventory. A lot of ad networks have their own DSP. A lot of ad networks buy from other DSPs. And so I think the way that you know you leverage these synergies is well, Vungle had a very high performance ad network, and now they have a DSP. Now they have a programmatic component, and and they can combine those two things and and sort of build one data lake. Firstly, that just just will probably improve the performance of both of those companies. And then you know they they also have you know the ability to sort of leverage the the liftoff DSP potentially to to for other ad networks to use, which just again sort of like. In, it reinforces that sort of like data access. And so I think, you know, this is a smart acquisition. I think this is going to be a really great combined company. And I think it does really pr- create a credible sort of alternative to some of really the big tech, like like Mark said in the quote. So who are the uh, the main competitors? Like, is the company still called Vungle or is it called Liftoff? Like, what's the new company name? I think they have like a, a temporary name, which was just like Liftoff plus Vungle or something. But I, I, I'm assuming they're going to rebrand at some point. I, I don't know. Got it. If they will. Got they, it. I think uh, they probably should. I, you know, I think if you think about the, the big competitors, it's still like an app loving, you know, unity. But, uh, you know, again, having this this performance DSP that really was, you know, one of the top DSPs really in that sort of DSP layer, it was really like kind of Mo Loco, I would, I would say, and maybe some people would disagree with me, and sorry if I'm offending anyone, but I would say it was kind of like Mo Loco and Liftoff were in like a league of their own. And now, you know, Liftoff is part of Bungle, but those were like the DSPs. And, you know, now, now Mo Loco is kind of the only independent DSP and they just raised a, a pretty big round. But, you know, bring, I think bringing that, that, that level of, of technological sophistication inside the, the Bungle tent just really gives them great competitive positioning. Mm. And you believe that they can fully leverage the synergies because I remember when Vungle, I mean, they, they've been acquiring a lot of companies, like as you mentioned, uh, Game Refinery, Jet Fuel, Tresenza, like that's a lot of companies to integrate into one and now they're part of something even bigger together. So Yeah, it's, uh... but, but it's just very complementary tech. So they also acquired Algolift, which mm-hmm. is, which does, you know, UA kind of analytics and, and automation, um, and, you know, uh, some people might, I don't know, I, I don't want to get into one of those situations where people complain about how the way I, I, I describe companies. But yeah, I think just the, <laughs> the, the combination of all these things makes Liftoff, like a, or sorry, the, this combined company, this new company, a very, very compelling player, right? And I think it does, I think it does start to look more like a, a Google or Facebook than it does like a, just an ad network. Mm. And how about Digital Turbine? Like they, they've been pretty big. Yeah, I mean, another great company, totally different you know, sort of approach. D- Digital Turbine historically had been like a pre-installed business and, and then they acquired, you know, Ad Colony, they acquired a DSP, they acquired Fiber for modernization. So they're they're also coming, you know, to market with this sort of like big sort of diversified ad offering. But, you know, they're, they're kind of different. I mean, they specialize, they still kind of specialize in that sort of Android side of the ecosystem. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Adam, Leela. Eric, do you feel like this is still part of a discussion around like them trying to make themselves look better to then be acquired by a larger company? 
because obviously ad networks are getting snapped up quite a bit right now. Is this part of their strategy to get acquired? No, I don't. I mean, well, I, I have no idea. I don't think so. I mean, Vungle is really big. Vungle is really big to begin with. And now this combined company has got to be, you know, it's very large. It's not, you know, it's not like Charpu scale, right? Or ad, ad mm-hmm. colony scale. It's much bigger. I, I mean, you, you wouldn't, there's the, the, the pool of potential acquirers is probably quite small. My guess would be that, you know, this, this looks like a company that's probably gearing up for an IPO more than just being acquired. I mean, unless it was, you know, Microsoft or something, but I don't, I don't really understand, you know, a really, 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 really big tech company, but I, I don't understand what, what the strategic, the strategic value of that would be for any of those big co's. Okay. So th- if it's gearing up towards an IPO, do they go the same path as App Eleven, where they start then building games division within them, or do they continue to just operate as an ad network and try to be as independent as possible? You know, that's a good question. I have no idea. I mean, that would I think it would be really interesting to get you know this you know the an exec from Nuco Vungle Nuco on to talk about that. I I have no idea. I maybe, that, but that's a very specific choice that you know doesn't isn't without consequences. I, I just I have no idea if that's what they're thinking about or not. Okay. Yep. Of course, we can only speculate here. Let's move on to the last article. So yeah, I I thought I'd throw a curveball in this week. Let's talk about the Leela Games Company Values deck. I'm assuming you guys haven't even read this thing. I have. I have. It's been been out for a long time. Yeah, by by Eric just shaking his head. But yeah, like Joe, you know, great friend of the podcast, obviously lives on. And I just felt like he put out a great document and he shared it on LinkedIn this week. Uh, that was the first time I read it, so that's why it, it was the, the thing that stuck in my head from last week the most, right? It really outlines the type of culture that he wants to create with his new startup, Alila, and I think it's actually just a great primer for modern thinking about what type of leadership and what type of culture uh, you need to be cultivating at startups in order to be successful. Also, it was just refreshing to hear kind of counters to the typical corporate politics. So you can not estimate, like I, I work in corporate environments, a lot of politics in there, and it What's great about this deck is it just has recommended culture fixes to to attack them. So I think like the six key points from this deck, uh, there's more, and I definitely recommend reading it. For number one, you have to agree with these shared values outlined in this deck. Otherwise, you're not a good fit. I think this is a good kind of first step, a first line. Because there are, of course, amazingly talented people that do not align with these values and likely will not work in the startup. And I think you have to embrace that or don't accept the role. I think that's good. Second is around wartime and peacetime CEOs. And I'm assuming most of the listeners here have, have read um, Ben Horowitz's articles on wartime versus peacetime CEOs. And I think it's, it's a great concept to talk about what type of leadership you need in different stages of development as a company. And I think specifically when he's talking about wartime CEOs, CEOs that are focused on results over stability and almost at a level are basically paranoid because while they try to attack the, the market, they're making sure that they're um, addressing all of the nuances and the details necessary to be competitive, right? They're focused on increasing conflict in order to drive the right outcome. And I think that's the right mentality that you have to have as a startup. You need to be able to embrace that type of environment. Third, direct communication, radical truth, and debate. I think this is something that I, I see all the time in corporate structures, right? Where divisions are creating these kind of chains of command and chains of communication that just impede good decision-making. Corporate information hoarders is what he specifically calls out in this deck. Kill efficiency and things like pre-meetings. Why do we have these things? All it does is align opinions of a bunch of people that aren't opinionated or critical enough on themselves to create a gang up tactic on something versus getting people in a room with opposing perspectives, agreeing on a shared context. And what that means is using the same data being very, very clear about what the context is for this decision and then debating until it's clear what the right outcome is rather than being, say, afraid of bringing the wrong data, bringing the wrong context or basing your decision on the wrong information, right? Like I think Daniel Kahneman, who just did that book that I read called Noise, I definitely recommend reading that one as well. It really articulates this as a key difference when groups are effective at predicting the future versus them just magnifying biases or groupthink. When you actually have that shared context, you build what, what Joe basically describes here or what the article clearly describes as effective debate. Fourth, clear areas of responsibility. That democratic rule within a company is the worst way to run, run a company. And absolutely amen to this, right? Matrix management. 
when you're both a part of a dis discipline and a part of a project, you have multiple managers and your responsibility and accountability level is both wide and thin, is the antithesis of strong results-oriented companies. And I completely agree with this. One versus where you have a clear area of responsibility for making decisions, right? More towards, say, the supercell model. And look, it's a gradient. Every company is going to be different and you need to be able to scale. But still, when you have clear game leads and you have game teams and that people have different disciplines within those teams but are able to make the decision for their game, for at least their responsibility scope, this can actually happen at game companies more than I think at app companies, right? Like we're not all building Spotify where every it's, it becomes, I don't even know how you do it, being able to split up an app like Spotify into a ton of mutually exclusive responsibility sets. That becomes very difficult. But games, you know, we're all building a whole bunch of different games. You can have clear leaders that motivates people and even within the game itself, separating key areas of the game like conversion versus uh, long-term spend, these can be separated by mutually exclusive uh, concepts. Fifth, uh, focus, and specifically Northstar metrics, that at different stages, whole teams should be focusing on correcting one specific KPI rather than a whole slew of KPIs with conflicting interests. And last, solution orientation and optimism. This one, in fact, I did some self-reflecting because it's one that I struggle with, right? going the line between being critical about a project and just whining about a project, right? We are very critical about games on this podcast, but sometimes we are not as solution focused as we should be. People who are optimistic about a product and that can focus on solutions to key problems is a very important role. Where say us on this podcast or me in my role, I'm typically a warner, some, some sort of realist who foresees problems and warns the team where the org needs to have that mix of optimists and these warners, these realists that are focused on identifying, but then also solving the root causes together. Not blind optimists who assume everything is fine or whiners who just complain all the time, which doesn't help anybody. Overall, look, this is a great deck, obviously biased because Jake is a friend, but one that I think any co-founder should be reading and reflecting on their culture about how, what they have at their company. And some of these can't not like, can't be taken dogmatically, right? Like wartime CEOs, you don't have to be a dick, right? Like you don't have to be an asshole, but still focus on results, right? Over stability, I think is important. And North Star metrics sound great on paper, but to be honest, in reality, KPIs are so interconnected. Like even just focusing on D1 retention, right? There's so many interconnected pieces towards what drives D1 retention. The focusing just on improving one metric can lead to gaming the numbers and not looking at the problem holistically, right? So overall, I'm a fan of this type of culture. And I think this is a great deck, but I just think, you know, communication ideas, these need to be directly addressed in corporate culture as well. So anyways, this was my most impactful article of the week. What do you guys think? No, this, is, this, is a, this is a good deck. I, I read it because I, JK had a deck before Leela. Like he was, this is something that he's been building for a long time as he's been going through the other uh, corporate ladder. Man, you should have shared that to me. Like, why was this the first time I get to read this? this is it, I mean, JK doesn't mind me sharing. So I know that when he was talking to some of the corporations of joining them, he would send his deck in advance. Like, hey, just so you guys know, this is how I operate. Now, naturally, that doesn't usually lead to, you know, they might be overwhelmed yeah, yeah, yeah. by getting like 40 pages of like rule sets of wartime and peacetime. And we're talking about corporations. They're like, dude. We have a lot of meetings. What do you want to know? <laughs> like we, we're a part of gigantic public corporation. Like you don't think like we're, you can't come in here with your direct communication, radical, radical truth and debate. Like you play the game and this is how corporations work. But I find I, I think it's really important to have these type of rule sets when you're building a company because it is like when you and your leads agree on top on on these principles this is how you operate inside the company so whenever different type of conflicts arise and whenever you have to make decisions or course correct or see how your culture is going like you refer back to these key elements and this is something that you do when you do one-on-ones with everybody in your team when you do your your internal service like you're always going back to the ways we're working what are our values and seeing through that are we following these principles that we have set because in my experience Doing these lists is very interesting and and insightful, and it can and it can bring people together as as you're as you're building this type of a deck or this type of a blog post. The real challenge is in 
implementing this because the organization grows, the organization transforms, there are different type of challenges. I would definitely say the growth is the biggest one. And keeping these rules alive is extremely challenging, especially if you're not on site, if you're not close to your development team, if you have two, three locations, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing. So Fantastic, fantastic that he has this rule set. And, and this is definitely what, what any CEO for a new company or even existing one should be having because it it, it, it is it clarifies the thinking behind of things. But I would be very curious to talk to to JK how he is implementing these things, how he's implementing the wartime peacetime, how he's in, implementing these areas of responsibility, direct communication, you know. Those type of elements, because that's that's where the execution lies. Like like you've said in in the in the Everglade or well, what's the game called Everguild. My Ever. my my only comment to this is that all these type plans and rules and and philosophies are great on paper, but at the end yes. of the day, it's always generally the execution at the top that's always the problem, right? When people like me, like more senior people, like or Joseph is like a different. He's like he's like a Buddha. Right. But like certain people just have been doing this so long and they already know the answer to the question before it's asked to some degree, or they at least they think they do. And so like modifying that behavior and trying to get a decision that you think you already know the answer to, and maybe a decision that contradicts what you think as a senior person, like a VP level type person, it always ends up being impossible. Right. <laughs> so it's like you can make all these like, I don't know. It just seems very, 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 very challenging, particularly in a big org when you want you're trying to make decisions go fast, right? And 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 senior leadership, like someone like Frank Chabot yeah. is like, look, this is what we want to do, right? And there could be yeah. a gazillion reasons why not, but he's like, I don't give a shit, get it done type thing. And exactly. that kind of eliminates this entire like philosophy like in one fell swoop, right? So anyway, if you don't have the leadership like managing or, or really leading by example on these type of things, it never works. And leadership is like the last people that want to implement anything that takes away their authority and power you know yeah that's why you yeah, definitely say yourself you're you're more of an optimist here than a whiner <laughs> no no Eric this is whole system right because, can't work it never works because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because like the pro challenge in these ones is like how do we you know how do we execute on this like like for example let's say adam in your organization there would be this whole of a, like getting people in a room with opposing perspectives and agreeing on a shared context using same data and then debating and let's say you'd be debating by by some product decisions like something that you're you're a, you know you're a wizard in that and i would bring in like a first year pm and i would say hey let's debate and you're like why am i wasting my time like i understand there might be a like i exactly. i am, like you you're you're op you're open minded person you would definitely listen but for once for twice but at some point you would come to me like hey dude like th there's no there's no point i have 20 years of experience in this and why do we have this culture of like everything is being debated? You know, th those are like the elements. How do you bundle together the seniority and doing what you believe is the right thing versus following the sort of a rule set of how the organization works? Anyway, I'm not saying I, wrong I, I or right. I think that's, I'm just that's pointing to the more challenge. the problem around like just general yeah. debate, right? Is like how many people and who do you invite to those types of debates? And I think that yeah. speaks more to the areas of responsibility discussion, which is... Like, like, how do you set it up an organization so that people have those mutually exclusive areas of responsibility and decision making? Yeah. And so that then in a case of like an associate PM getting involved in a very yeah. high level strategy discussion is less likely. Yeah, I remember a, the, the, the biggest the biggest like I've just this is a really stupid example. Right. But I, I'm just just throwing it out there is like. If you have all this decision matrix that's happening, right, but an executive doesn't agree with the decisions that are being made by the underlings, then it just kind of like throws everything down. So like one instance was we were like, I was in product manager and we were doing a freaking cover for our game, right? And so it's up to our decision to make the cover for the game, right? But who had to implement, who had to make a decision on this? Frank Chabot himself, as a VP of marketing, he made a decision that, no, we're not doing this cover, we're doing that cover, right? So like... It, it, it's stuff like that, like that completely eliminates the idea that, oh, yeah, well, people that are make, should make decisions are making the decisions because execs don't want to give up that kind of control. Right. And I know it's a dumb it, example, but it, those type it, of it really micro is. decisions happen all the time in big orgs. And that makes it just it's, it's all about the who's up the top, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a, yep, it, yep. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would suggest to anybody to, out of like the most impactful books that I've been reading as of late, I think uh, Multipliers is the one. It really describes these type of elements that, that, especially us who have been in the industry for a longer time, like what kind of a diminishing traits we have towards our teams and how to approach it in, in a different ways. And, and what you, Eric, described with the cupboard, with the, with the Frank Jabot example is is exact diminisher trait of, of that that is being actually portrayed in the book. So anyways, to cut the short to, to story short, I think these type of decks are very, very valuable. The truth is, is like, how do you keep executing them? How do you keep these alive? How do you make sure? Because it's not only giving a voice to everybody, but it's also the challenge of how to make sure that people are involved. Like, Junior people are not that keen on giving feedback to seniors and, and sometimes seniors are not that keen to listening. And then you have to be as a CEO constantly making sure that your organization functions according to the rules that you've set. And and that's that's really the challenge of the job. And and if if JK is doing that, and as I believe he is, you know, all power to him. I'll, I'll be definitely very interested in hearing exact examples how he has been executing on these very, very thoughtful points. By the way, this freaking Marvel game is insane. Like, if right. this game yeah, that's, is like that's what the perfect, oh, this shit, is the, the perfect execution. By the way, of 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 this type of game, and if this thing is not successful, I, I don't is. know what can be. Do this fucking Marvel. It's got collection. It's an RPG. It's got insane it's systems. It's Ticket all Eric's game. boxes. Okay. And it's all now, now I got to play it and I'm going to rip it apart and tell you where. where Please they, tell where me what the out. fuck's wrong with this. I just don't think these so, games can be but successful. But as soon as they the said auto battle, I'm like, okay, at least we're like 50% yeah, least, of the yeah, way yeah. there. We're good. Yeah, you, you and I are alone. All right. Marvel Future Revolution. Download that on your Android or iOS device. Everdale, give it a go. Hopefully it does well. We're yeah, no, we, we looked at the RPI there in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, I saw, okay. I saw the note. I, I, I don't understand the decision making. It's freaking horrific. It's horrific. <laughs> the RPI yeah, is going to be. Let's do a deconstruct later. Let's do a deconstruct we'll, later. We'll, okay. we'll do a deconstruct later. We'll play for a week and then come back and see if, if, there, if there are some monetization opportunities. And as always, send us feedback, like how to pronounce our co host's name correctly. That's a good feedback. And everything else, preferably related to the games business anonymously or non-anonymously, we're out. Bye.